Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. If you would take out your copy of God's Word with me and turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, where we're continuing in an exposition of God's Word is spoken by the lips of His own Son. Now in the last session we talked about the parable of the soils, about the truth of God's wisdom as it is given to people that the Holy Spirit has prepared, and how those that have hardened hearts before God or stiff necks God will actually use the parable as a, a form of judgment for those that have a hard heart towards God, those who ex exhibit disbelief as a matter of will. God will take the hard-hearted and harden their hearts further. But for those who are humble before God, for those who are repentant before God, for those who realize their fallen condition and choose life instead of hate, who choose, choose love over bitterness, who choose hope over self-sufficiency, the hope that comes from a reliance upon God, who tender their own hearts to Him, He will enlighten them through the wisdom of His Word. And he's kind of piggybacking off of his last, um, his last parable when he gives this next parable, the parable of the lamp. Now, it's not the salt and the light, as you would think by the title of the sermon. It's the parable about just specifically the lamp. And if you've ever seen a lamp in ancient Israel, it's a simple piece of pottery that looks like a saucer that's been pinched off at one side. You stick a, a wick made out of rope in the olive oil. You allow it to, well, you light it and you allow it to start absorbing the oil and it casts light throughout whatever home that it happens to be in. Light is always reflective of God's truth. Light is always reflective of God's truth. Now, whether it be personal truth, that is the truth of who you are before God, whether it's the truth of God's righteousness or the truth of God's love through the gospel, light is always truth. And continuing in this exposition, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, again, read Luke chapter 8 for you. I'm going to expound upon it, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of insight as to the commentary on Luke that the Bible actually has within its pages. So, let's begin reading together. Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 16. Once you find it in your copy of God's Word, say amen. As we read together. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. 
For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Now, for, for the sinful, this should raise a whole lot of fear. Because in the rest of God's Word, it says that not even the idle thoughts will be remained hidden from God during the days of the judgment, that everything that we do, everything that we say, every idle word, every idle action, every idle thought will be laid bare from the judgment seat. Now I want you to think about that for a second. When God casts His light into the darkness, the fallen people that we are by the standardness of human nature, unregenerate nature, we want the light, we want the covering, we want the ambiguity. We don't want our unrighteousness to be made known. We want to dwell in the darkness that is reflective of the very stain that's on our souls. We want to hide. What happened in the Garden of Eden the second that they heard the voice of God walking through the cool of the day? They tried to do what? They tried to hide. Those that have the stain of sin upon themselves want to dwell richly in that place that looks exactly like them. They want to be in the darkness. God, however, is light. And He is expounding this truth upon us. Now we talk in Revelation in our study on Wednesday nights, incidentally, 7 o'clock, please be here. We talk about in Revelation how famine is about to strike. We actually talked about the, the seals of the four horsemen this past Wednesday. The prophets actually tell of a time where there will be a famine, not just of regular food, but a famine of spiritual food, a famine of the Word of God. And one of the things that we can pick up on from human nature is that if someone is hungry, if someone is going through a personal time of famine, if someone is starving, they will eat anything. This is a spiritual truth just as much as it is a physical truth. There is an unfortunate tendency as we hear that animals out in the wild who are, who are uh, sea creatures capable of eating plastic will actually down plastic, thinking of it as a form of food. And while it does occupy space in the belly of whatever it comes across... It doesn't provide nutrition. All it does is occupy space. Where there, where, where there are pulpits that are silent to the Word of God, the same thing happens. The church loses its significance when it stops challenging the society in which it exists, when it starts looking like the rest of that society, when it stops proclaiming the truth of Scripture and starts trying to justify the society in which it lives. Where there is no challenge to the righteousness of God, the church loses its significance. Where there is no feeding of the faithful in the Word of God, there is the eating of anything. A spiritual hunger will be satisfied by whatever people can grasp upon. And the darker the church becomes through a lack of light of the truth of God, the more the church's light will go out. That's effectively what Jesus is saying here. Light is truth. Light is the truth of God. It is an objective truth. And if you hide it, you are denying that light to others. You're denying the hospitality to others. 
When they enter into your home and the home is completely dark and you don't flip the switch, what are they going to do the second that they get in front of your couch? Are they going to sit in it or trip over it? The same thing holds true. Light directs. Light guides. The light of truth, if we proclaim it, will help to nurture, will help to nourish, will help to protect. However, as Jesus is saying here, if you're given this light, no one in their right mind would put a bushel over it. No one in their right mind would put it under the sofa. But think about what many of us are doing. If you deny the Word of God in your own life, if you deny the Word of God as a testimony to others, what are we doing? There is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. There is nothing concealed that will not be known or thought out or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will, whoever has will be given more. Notice he's not talking about money here. He's talking about truth. Whoever has been given, whoever has will be given more. Whoever has, whoever does not have. Even what they think they have will be taken away from them. So what you do with your truth is a marker of God's judgment upon you. What do you do with the truth that you've been given? If you squirrel it away, if you hide it, if you do not proclaim it, if Christianity for your sake is just that thing that you do on Sunday, or every other Sunday, or on Christmas and Easter, the Word of God tells us that those that have will be given more. What do you do with the talents, with the truth, with the word that God has given you? Those that do not have, those that do not use their talents, those that do not use their gifts, those that do not tithe their time, their talents, their efforts, their knowledge, their wisdom, even that little that they have will be what? Will take, be taken away from them. Later on in this episode, we read that Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. But then they were not able to get near to him because of the crowd. And someone told him, presumably one of his disciples, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And he replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. This is the thesis statement behind Jesus' sermon, behind both parables. Now, he's not disowning his mom and his brothers. He's not saying, these are my family, those can go away. What he is saying is the same thing that he said to his parents when they were looking for him and they found him at the temple. I must be about my father's business. Not only that, he's giving us another truth, another doctrine, and that is the fact that if you are trusting earnestly in him for repentance, if you have confessed and accept the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, if you have accepted the sacrifice and proclaimed him as Lord, then he proclaims you to be a co-heir of God himself, his brothers and his sisters, the members of his family. 
So what we can gather from this pericope, this little uh, sliver of the life of Jesus, threefold things I want you to consider. Please write this down. First of all is that God's light represented all throughout Scripture. Again, I was talking to you about the uh, principle of expositionary constancy. That's a $40 way of saying that if the Bible, if the Holy Spirit in some place in the Bible uses an image or a symbol, then that image or symbol remains constant from Genesis to Revelation. In the case of life, it, light, it is the truth of God. Secondly, if you have received that truth, you are very much under God's microscope for how you use that truth. Put it into practice. Lastly, those who have received that truth and those who are living in that truth, those who are regenerate Christians can count upon this fact. You are a part of the family of God. Now and for always. All that the Father gives to me uh, excuse me. All that the Father has given to me shall come to me, and if anyone cometh unto me, I will in no wise what? Cast out. Once you come into his presence, you are in his presence. God does not disown anybody. That should be enough to make a Baptist shout. I want you to notice. The power of the regenerate work of God. Once you have that truth within you, he who has begun a good work in you will also draw it unto completion, the Word of God tells us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help now to open our ears and our hearts to your Word. Help us to accept it willingly with the gravity and with the, the full authority that it comes from the lips of your Son and under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. Be with us now as we seek to dine extravagantly from the table of your Word. Help us to grow so that through its pages we might also receive the words necessary so that if we come into that situation, if we meet that divine appointment where there is someone across from us that has yet to know you in a free pardon of sin, or maybe it is a younger Christian who is struggling in the faith, May you now impart upon us the words to help encourage them, to convict them, and to propel them into your arms before it is everlastingly too late. Be with us now. Bless our efforts as we draw unto you. In the matchless name of Christ we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So, what does the rest of the Bible say about what we've just read? One of the things that I hope that you're getting from these past few studies is we look at the life of Christ that we are called to reflect, to imitate, not impersonate, but imitate, is that the best commentary on Scripture that you can possibly have is the Scripture itself. I hope that you're developing, both through today and through our Wednesday night studies, an awe and a reverence for the intricate nature of the message that you have in your hands. One that all too often it becomes a tendency in our homes that they sit in the coffee table and gather dust. God went to extraordinary lengths over the course of six plus thousand years, 40 different authors, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to make what you are reading right now possible. 
And I want you to know that he has his fingerprints on every yacht, every tittle, every piece of ink. There is no wasted ink in the Word of God. So use it. Gather it. Think of it as precious to you because it is a personal message to you from God. Amen? Let's continue on. When Paul is talking about the light of truth in 1 Corinthians, he writes, My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. If you are in Christ, you are in the light already. Part of the glorious thing of the sacrifice of Christ is we refer to it as a propitiation of sin. That means that all the wrath that your sins could have possibly generated in the heart of God has been paid for in full by the sacrifice of Christ. No matter what you have done in your past, you have been forgiven. Now the transforming... There are many who pick on the Baptist faith for saying that that is a blank check to sin. Not so. Because what Paul is also instructing us on, particularly in Romans chapters 1 and 2, is that if you are in Christ, you are not the same. The regenerate power of the Holy Spirit produces a brand new person from the one that went before the altar and proclaimed themselves a sinner asking for God's mercy. When that person stands up, earnestly having repented them, uh, their sins, having received the free pardon of sin as given by Christ on Calvary's Mount so long ago, then the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon that person and their very nature is transformed. So that sin becomes the exception, not the rule. You are a peculiar people in the eyes of the rest of the world, Peter tells us. You are a royal priesthood. You are different. You are sanctified. The word ecclesia from which we get church means the set apart ones. You are different, you look different, you act different, you talk different, you should think different. And once you have that regenerate nature as part of you, you are enfolded into the family of God, a position which is granted to you by the very king of the universe, one that cannot be taken away. And what Paul is basically telling them here is that when the day comes, when all who were in Christ appear before the Bema seat judgment, when, we, when God shines the light in your heart and the books are open. The sin has been dealt with, cast as far away from you as the east is from the... That's Holy Scripture, meaning that the stains have been blotted out. The darkness within you has been put to rest. You will be in white, as the book of Revelation tells us. You will be, you will be reflecting the very light of God. And when He sees into your heart, what He's going to see is the good that you have done with your life, is the living sacrifice of praise that you have been before a holy God. So when, you see, when He sees you, just as the elders in Revelation are casting their crowns upon the glassy sea, what you will be handing them is the jewels of a life spent in His service, which He will rejoice in. And hear those precious words, well done my good and faithful servant. But unfortunately, there's another side of that coin. For the unregenerate, 
will stand before him under the throne of judgment. And when the light is shown into the darkness, those very stains will be made known. Not only the sin nature which cannot come into God's presence, but every stain, every idle thought, every idle word, every action, every motivation of the heart will be made known. If there has ever been a reason for evangelistic fervor, it is that we do not want our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, our family members to have to undergo that. That's an honestly send chills down the heart of anybody that does not know Christ. Everything that you have ever thought will be declared from the very throne of God against you. Oh, how sad it is to meet the judgment unprepared to meet thy God, as the old hymn says. God's truth. In taking a look at what God's truth is, God's truth is objective. I know that in this postmodern world in which we live, this has come under attack on almost any, on every side, but nevertheless, it is a fact that just as two plus two will indeed equal four, the truth proclaimed by he who created this universe, who created both the natural and the supernatural, his truth is truth. The end. It applies to all of us. Just as sure as someone trips over one of these speaker cables will fall because of the law of gravity. Objective truth is truth. It's also enumerated in God's Word. That's one of the reasons it's so precious is that all of the things that have been penned for you is there by design to make your life a fuller, richer, more meaningful life. Furly furnished to all good works, the apostle tells us. His covenant with you and his expectations of your life is in there. His definitions of what grace and what judgment mean are in there. The life of his son who is the example of a sinless life, the full fulfillment of the law is in there. The basis of his own righteousness for judgment, the example of us who is Christ, is in there. Something else I want you to know is that the Word of God exposes all evil. And on that day it will truly be exposed. All actions, all speech, even all thought. The Apostle goes on to say, the God of this age, notice it's a small, it's a small g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as who? As Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So what does God's truth do? It convicts us of unrighteousness. It provides for full forgiveness and restoration through grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. For it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is a work of His. A work that we have to receive. But it's a work of His. And that's how... As Paul tells us later on, you are ambassadors of the grace of God. You are ambassadors of the reconciliation that he has started. Think of it this way. 
The church is the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And you are the ambassadors sent out to make peace between the God who created everything and the people who currently exist in rebellion to them. You are peace envoys in hostile territory. The truth of God's light should shine to draw others. As Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, if I am lifted up just as Moses lifted up the service, the servant, serpent, excuse me, in the desert, I will draw all men to me. That means that Christ needs to be lifted up in our church, in our city, in our community, in this world. That means that Christ needs to be lifted up in our very lives. And that's his promise that if we do that, if we set him up, if we proclaim him as Savior and Lord, then he will draw all men to us. He will increase the power and the effectiveness of his church. The truth is attacked by the enemy, as we've just read. The unregenerate are blinded to it, particularly those who dig their heels in. You can't argue a person into Christianity. I hate to say it. You can take the word of God to them, yes. You can live as an example life to them. But if they, through act of will, proclaim disbelief, not doubt... Doubt is in the battlefield of the mind. Doubt is a mild form of atheism, I'll grant you. But when they dig their heels in willfully in disbelief, which is a different subject altogether, then that's the enemy at work within their lives. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, acts in tandem with the Holy Word of God as we talked about last week. You bring the Word, and God's Spirit will bring the conviction. Also, the truth provides for an undeniable testimony. You are the only Bible that what? Some people will ever read. Can you stand before others in times of distress, times of, of financial heartache, times of physical pain? Can you stand under those circumstances with others watching you? Because you are watched. Whether you know it or not, whether you make a display of yourself or not, you are watched. Under extreme duress that comes from living in a fallen world, can you stand before others and hold on to the peace of mind that passes all understanding? Hold on to the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Can the hope, peace, joy, and love that are the gifts of the Holy Spirit of God be put on display in your life? Or do you act just like everybody else? The testimony that you bear before others, both spoken and lived out, are evidence to this community and to this world that Christ makes a difference. Because if it didn't, you would look, act, and think just like everybody else. But when they see that difference in you, when they see the gospel lived out in you, and where you also have the boldness to be able to proclaim to others, this is the person I was before Christ. This is the person I am now through Christ. This is the church that helps to make it possible through the community of believers banding together as a family. When you can say that to others and back it up with, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. When you can present not only your life as being affected by the gospel, but the gospel itself, that has an impact. You may be the very version of the Bible that leads somebody into a free pardon of sin. 
When we do stand before the Bema Seat Judgment, you just might have somebody throw their arms around your neck and thank you in the presence of God for being the person that was the messenger of His grace. What an awesome blessing that would be. When He gives you His light, His truth, either in Scripture or in the, the reality of your regenerate state, let it shine. Let it do its work. Do not hide it. No matter how bad this world gets, no matter how badly oppressed we could come under, no matter what they throw at us, the truth of God cannot be denied because the darkness cannot overcome the light. Let your light shine. Live out the truth that God has given you. Romans chapter 13, the apostle writes to us, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in the sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and in jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the new clothes. Let your example be Him. Just as He lived, you live as well. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So what does it mean to be clothed in light? What it means basically is that we reflect the love of God that He has shown to us in the way that we live our lives, through our conduct, through our conversation, through our character, through our conduct, which is what we do, our conversation, which is the very words we say, our character, the person we are when nobody's looking, what we think. The truth makes itself manifest through your conduct, your conversation, and your character. The regenerate person that you have become in Christ. The lived testimony, all the virtues of Christ. Love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, forbearance, temperance, patience, and self-control. The fruits of the Spirit is your lived testimony. Put them on display. Let your light shine out to others. And help to draw them through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. For when they see your life, there will be a convicting presence. He writes in Ephesians, You were once in darkness, but now you are, the, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. In other words, it makes you look in others' eyes like Jesus and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. This is something else I want you to write down in your notes. Because this is becoming more and more uncomfortable. This is becoming more and more uncomfortable for those of us who are in Christ. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. It reflects a light. Sin exposed to the light either tries to scatter and find something else dark to hide under or it converts or it accepts grace. And I know that a lot of us when we were talking about our faith evangelism study when we were discipling the church in being soul winners there was a lot of fear about that conversation. 
I want you to take two truths. First of all, if you present the gospel to somebody, there is a chance that they will say no. Undoubtedly, there is. I also want you to think about, isn't a five-minute awkward conversation worth it for that person's salvation? But the other thing that I want you to consider also is this. If you do not present the truth of the gospel to somebody, there is a 100% chance that they won't say yes. Be the reason they have that chance. Your lived testimony makes the Christian distinct from the culture, the light versus the darkness that we just read about. Because the same thing that was going on in Paul's day and age, it didn't have the technology behind it, but it was still there. There were still living human beings that were considered disposable. There were still unnatural relations that Paul also mentions is a symptom of a reprobate mind and systematic of a culture that denies the existence and their accountability to God. But light transforms society by seeing the love of God, the service, and the embrace of God's grace in practice. That's why the church had an impact in ancient Rome. Not because they had a brand new theology that everybody was clamoring for. But they were, in fact, very much against it. For the first 600, 700 years of Christianity's existence, we were hunted down until an emperor married one of us. And in that marriage, he started looking at us through different eyes because he saw the people of the light, the people of Christ, taking care of the people that mourn. He saw them feeding the hungry. He saw them offering clothing and mercy to those that were destitute. He saw them doing for the suffering what the state could not do. And through that, Christianity blossomed, not because of their aggravation, not because of their hatred, not because of their bitterness, not because of their squawking, but because of their love. The third great commandment, the one that Christ himself gave to us from his table, love one another as I have loved you, and they will know that you are my disciples. The commandment with a promise, if you love one another. It gives evidence of the transforming power of the gospel before a world that has its doubts. It also evidences and encourages spiritual maturity in the local church. Because again, where there is a famine of the word, the people will try to fill their souls with anything. Something else that the truth of God does is it brings us together into non-organism, non-organization, an entity known as the Bride of Christ, the family of God. Dear friends from the beloved apostle, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness, non-regenerate in other words, still in the fallen. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light 
and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. May God add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word this morning. Anyone who knows the truth and who lives in the truth is my family. This is what Jesus tells us. He gives us an indication for the sake of church discipline that hatred for one's brothers and sisters, the cause for divisions within a local community is actually a sign of the unregenerate nature still at play. But those who love, those who live within the light of God, strengthens the body, which is the church. And it enhances the fellowship. An active love within the church also protects the members from temptation, from suffering, and from sin. If you're a part of the family of God, your joys multiply because of the, the fellowship that we have with each other. And sorrows are divided because as a family, we carry each other's load. No one should ever be isolated in the family of God. There should never be political parties within the church. There should never be people secretly meeting behind closed doors or coming together because they don't like such and such or so and so. It should always be as one, which is what we're reading. The love of God is defined and is well-lived in the unity of the local church. It is, in fact, the lubrication that keeps the family going. Just like, and I've used this example before, you all know it, just like an engine block cannot function without the presence of oil because the friction will wear it to death. Without forgiveness, without love, without grace, the church cannot function. But through it, it's capable of doing powerful and amazing things. Through love, all things are possible. Agape. That's the love of God. Not all love is love. Let me say that again. Not all love is love. And I tell you that because there are eight different varieties of love mentioned in the scriptures alone. Twelve in the whole of the Greek language. But the love, the word for love in scripture is agape, agapeo. A love that is identified by the self-sacrificing nature of those who put it on display. Is our love like that? This is how they will know that you are the disciples of Christ. By not esteeming others as greater than yourself. By not working only to be gratified yourselves. By not giving just so that someone can look at and give you a pat on the back. But knowing that everything we do, whether in word or deed, is done as unto the Lord. Thanksgiving. Gratitude, service, worship. All this we are to do, not for the sake of ourselves, but in praise and thanksgiving and adoration of him who gave everything for us. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads others to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where there is no objective truth, but only subjective desire and vain imaginings, there is no thought. There is only delusion. But where the love of the people is a love of the other, not the love of the self, where it is the self-sacrificing love of God, community is possible. The light of hope is possible. A true understanding of who God is is possible. Let your light shine. There's a reason I use the pictures in these sermon bumps the way that I do. If you'll recall, the first picture was a cross standing alone exhibiting light. Another was light shining and focusing upon the Word of God. Another was a bunch of people embracing over the Word of God, sharing the truth and living in community over the truth. This one I want you to notice in particular because that light isn't hoarded. In the first image, you had the light standing by itself, being proclaimed by Christ. This image, you see someone, a parent, holding up that cross, letting its light shine behind her children and for the rest of the world to see. This is what Christ asks us to do. You have been blessed by the sacrificial nature of Christ to receive his love, to receive his truth about who God is and what God expects. You've received grace, and now he calls you to let that light shine in a world that knows it not. That's our challenge from Christ himself. Live out the light. All God's people said. And so, Heavenly Father, as we draw the service of the word to a close, we ask that you would trouble the hearts of those that have yet to come to know you in a free pardon of sin. For any within the sound of my voice that have yet to know that there is a God who loves them, who doesn't know of the God who gave his all for the sake of their salvation, draw unto yourself as many as would accept the embrace of your love. If there are any who are struggling with a matter for which they need prayer, if there are any who have been living a life first that turn to you but are struggling in something that is weighing them down, if there are any who are looking for a new family or a a branch of the family of God to call their own, Lord, whatever the decision on the hearts of those before us, draw them unto you now as we dedicate this time of invitation and ourselves into your hands without any reservation. Whatever the need is on any heart, Lord, 
bring that need, satisfy that longing. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. And all God's people say. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.